Welcome to the Enemies List. I'm Rick Wilson, your host, and with me today is my friend Greg Sargent. He is a columnist for Washington Post Opinions and a gimlet-eyed observer of all of the various comings, goings, corruptions large and small of Washington, D.C., and I'm delighted he took some time today to sit down with us because we're going to cover the waterfront on a lot of the things that are happening in Washington right now that have been absorbing the news at a, at a level that uh, seems like everything's coming in everywhere all at once. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list. Democrats want Republicans dead. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody. The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. You're the president of the United States. You can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified. It's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. <laughs> I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Greg, welcome to the Enemies List, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Uh, good to see you, Rick. Good to see you, too. So let me start out with your piece about John Eastman, because it's it, it seems in some ways like a like a, an emblematic piece of the best people that Trump surrounded him with, uh, especially as the administration sort of wound down, turn out to be a lot of folks who are either finally starting to see some consequences for their behavior of trying to overthrow a democratic election, or at the minimum are just having their reputations and their careers sort of thrown into the dustbin of history. So tell us about the John Eastman story and, and why you think it's important. Well, John Eastman, as I, I'm sure your listeners know very well, was the chief architect of the legal theory behind Trump's coup attempt. Uh, and right now, as we speak, he's facing disbarment proceedings in California where he's barred. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason this is important is because the charges against him, which could cost him his, his law license, uh, aren't just the sort of conventional type of, of narrow charge like, you know, false statements or something like that. One of the uh, one of the accusations that's being made against Eastman is specifically that he authored the legal theory uh, behind the coup and that it was right. a fraudulent legal theory. And and if he's disbarred for that or if he loses his law license for that, I think it's highly significant because it would be pretty much the first time we've seen a member of Trump's elite inner circle mm -hmm. of coup plotters. First time we've seen one of them face serious professional uh, penalization for it. And that's not a small thing. I mean, it's unfortunate that it would only be the first. But, right. Um, and by the way, there's a, there's a kind of an amusing thing to talk about here, which is that, you know, now that Trump is facing indictment, uh, he and MAGA Republicans constantly tell us there's a two-tiered justice system, right? <laughs> One in which, you know, only liberals are allowed to get off and elite conservatives are constantly harassed and you know, ordinary conservatives are having their doors broken down by jackbooted FBI agents and, and so forth. But if you want a good example of two-tiered justice, consider this. Hundreds of people, ordinary people, have been convicted for attacking the Capitol pretty much on Donald Trump's orders. Mm -hmm. um, and zero members of the elite coup plot circle have faced accountability. There's two-tiered justice for you. So hopefully that'll change now. Right. I mean, it's it's like the guys in the Willard 
in the war room seem to have been pretty immune to consequences so far, right? And it's yeah, it's, it's justice, random right? random dipshit who got off a bus and started, you know, hitting cops. Rightfully, look, they're it's right that they're being punished, but but it does strike me that that's a really good example is that the the two yeah. tiers they still seem to there still seems to be sort of a wall around. Bannon and Stone and Jones and a lot of the other senior people out there. I mean, look, I, I'm happy that Terrio and and Rhodes have gotten you know gotten a taste of justice, but it's a they're still foot soldiers in my mind. Yes, I think they're the shock troops. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah. this is interesting because one of the things that that I've been obsessed about lately is this idea that, and I still see a lot of my Democratic friends doing this, is they they still think there's like a good faith argument being had here about not only January 6th, but about everything right now in DC, about the Supreme Court, about about you know the the the, the crazy new like impeachment fever sweeping DC. And the Democrats still seem to think that there's like some sort of of you know reasonable set of interlocutors on the other side of the equation. And and I think we probably agree it's just not the case anymore. No, I think and it hasn't been for some time, right? Right. I mean yeah, I mean, one really good example of that, since you brought up the Supreme Court, I thought was, I, I forget which Democratic senator, but it was a senior Democratic senator. It was when the Clarence Thomas uh, um, revelations broke in ProPublica, which was right. a very big story. Um, I think one of the Democratic senators put out a statement saying, I hope Clarence Thomas understands this, but we're going <laughs> to have to do something. And what struck me about that, I don't remember which Democratic senator it was, but it was a senior one. What struck me about that was, why are you, you know, asking for his understanding? Right. Um, you control the Senate. You exercise some oversight here. I mean, this is just madness. It, it Do does something. strike me. It does strike me. It's like, it's like if the boot was on the other foot. I assure you, if if this had been Sonia Sotomayor taking private jet rides for exotic vacations on George Soros's plane, every Republican in Washington would have their hair on fire. They'd be running through the streets with pitchforks and torches, demanding her immediate removal. And that's and right. It, and I, I don't really, I don't think has, I don't think any senior Democrats have, have called for for Clarence Thomas's removal. No, they've actually been, they've actually been. I I, I think the closest was. Senator Blumenthal saying like we need to look at this and there need to be there needs to be a new ethics code in the Supreme Court. That's not exactly like burn down the village. It's pretty right. right. It's pretty sort of basic, uh, you know, b- basic play. Um, well, I think you raise an important point there because there probably really is a a, a role for for stiffer for stiffer uh, ethics oversight mm-hmm. here, right? Um, I think um, Senators Angus King and Lisa Murkowski introduced a bill that would require the court to impose an ethics code on itself. Um, And I think that's a good step. Right. But, you know, there's another thing Democrats could be doing more of, which is oversight and hearings. They could be subpoenaing people as part of Mm -hmm. this. And they're not doing that. They are historically very bad at at spectacle. They don't understand why Republicans do these things. They think, oh, well, we should be governing, we should be legislating, we should be doing this and that. But, but the, people pay attention to a spectacle. They pay attention when things are on fire. Um, you know, that's a really interesting point, and I'd like to throw something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, we just saw that borne out, and and so you sort of have a bit of a, a schizophrenic approach from Democrats sometimes. The, the House January 6th Select Committee was an extraordinary success, Huge. right? 
Um, it was, I think, you know, one of the most epic efforts to hold an opposition accountable that I've seen in my lifetime. And mm-hmm. right. And, and it was because it was prosecuted as spectacle. Right. right? It was dramatized really effectively. Uh, and it drove home to the country the, the gravity of what had happened with the you know, largest outbreak of, of political violence in, in recent U.S. history. Um, and 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 how it had been inspired by Trump's coup and and the legal theory behind it. So Democrats know how to do this. Yeah, it's just I, that they, you know, it takes a lot to mobilize them to do it. Support for Rick Wilson's The Enemies List comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Wilson. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Wilson. Odoo. Modern management made simple. It is baffling how you see like, the occasional flicker of of understanding of it, and then it's sort of get swept away of, oh, well, you know, we don't want yeah. them to do that to us. Folks, they're going to do that to you. The minute it's they take power, they're going to do that to you. I mean, I right? think I think we're going to – I mean, have you noticed like the last few days the dam is breaking in the House for mo- motions to impeach from the president on down? They're suddenly – I mean, the MAGAs are feeling their oats and they're sort, sort of rolling past Kevin, who I won't say to his credit, but to his political judgment – Kevin has been behind closed doors saying, don't do this, don't do this. It's going to turn into Bill Clinton, part two. We're going to get screwed on this. But now they don't really care. Now they're going to go forward. They're going to start you know, amping up the investigations and the impeachment uh, the impeachment stuff. I think in part, because I think you'd agree with this, so far the, the Comer-Jordan like weaponization of government stuff has been a flop. Oh, for sure. And I think I think MAGA knows that in their, in their heart of hearts. Mm-hmm. I think their pollsters know it in their heart of hearts, because that's that's why I think they've taken the the foot off the gas on all of it. They know it's just not it's not even moving their own people. That's very interesting. What makes you say that? Can you elaborate a bit? I'm curious. Um, I've just noticed that in there we we <laughs> over at Lincoln we monitor a lot of the online communication stuff that they're doing. Like we we have like sentiment monitoring and tone monitoring of what they're talking about, and it has drifted away from. Like there was a little spike last week about Hunter Biden, but that was more attacking DOJ. This this idea that you could that they were going to get a political benefit out of the weaponization of government, if it was working, they'd still keep talking about it as the centerpiece of their thing. But right now they're all over the board again. Right now it's internal bickering and fighting now is starting to, to take over in the MAGA world where you see Kevin on defense. The Freedom Caucus is going to throw out Marjorie Taylor Greene. Green versus Boebert fighting. I mean, they, they're creating a spectacle, but not deliberately. Right. <laughs> um, right. You know, I want to go back for a second on the um, on the Supreme Court question because it is it has sort of been like uh, what you said a second ago was the Democrats proposed that the Supreme Court would have to impose an ethics code on itself which I think is the only way you can do it and protect the separation of powers constitutionally. Yes. And, and, and I, the reason, one reason I like that, that approach is because you would think it would make it impossible for, for them to, to argue against it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it allows them to create the ethics code 
and, and impose it on themselves. Right. And you'd think that Roberts, who is hypothetically, allegedly, supposedly an institutionalist, would snap this up. <clears throat> but right now, this is also becoming a part of, of the, you know, the the crazy orthodoxy of the Republican Party. You've got DeSantis and all these other people at the Faith and Freedom Convention this week. They're now all racing into the state like, no, I'll defend the Supreme Court for, for taking trips with billionaires more than you will. I mean, that seems to me to be – I mean, if Roberts really – if Roberts doesn't understand that he's in the middle of a DCPR crisis, he's got another thing coming because this is I a mean, he, legit he PR crisis. Right? I mean, he certainly understands it, don't you think? He's a smart guy. Yeah, Roberts, Roberts is – and from what I've been told, you know, the people who knew him before – He's a very considered thinker. He's a very he's not a he's not a guy who is prone to a lot of hot emotion. I think he's probably recognizing it's got to be dawning on him by now that this thing stinks on ice. This whole shenanigan is just out of control. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right that 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 it would be a, a, a very you know easy and smart move for him to 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 grab on to something like that because. It, it, they would develop the ethics code. They would impose it on themselves. Mm-hmm. There is a requirement that they do that, but it's hard to see how that violates the, the separation of powers. And it's hard to see what's institutionally wrong with that as a solution. It's not as if Congress has no oversight role whatsoever right. or no role whatsoever with regard to the courts. It has one. And that seems to me to be a judicious solution. Although you got to ask yourself, even if Roberts were for it, would Republicans be for it? I don't know that they would. I, I doubt it. I doubt it because they understand the game of, of the, or that they play today <clears throat> is they'd much rather have the outrage of, of being able to complain about someone trying to interfere with their beloved Supreme Court than to accomplish something that would make the Supreme Court return to, maybe return to, its position as... Uh, a trusted institution in the country because their numbers, right, have crashed completely. Their polling yeah. has just gone into the into the gutter. Um, you know, yeah, from I mean, the eighties to the. I 30s. imagine a lot of that's to do with Dobbs, right? A lot of it is Dobbs. We've seen we've seen that. I mean, Dobbs is a gigantic yeah. voter behavior driver and a, and a gigantic hit on their on their reputation in the in the country, just broadly speaking. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, speaking of Dobbs, um, where do you see? Like the big issue fights shaping up in Washington right now, beyond uh, in in the remainder of the year, because there will they're still going to be fighting out some some fairly substantive battles. I think in D.C., you know, aside from all the show and the spectacle. Well, I think there's going to be some really big stuff around immigration coming down the pike, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked about impeachment before, and, and the impeachment of Mayorkas is something I think worth talking about because that that's sort of that's sort of a policy debate in many ways, right? Right. Because, and and it's going to figure very centrally, um, I think, in the next uh, few months, um, and it's a policy debate because Republicans are moving to impeach him over policy differences, right? Right. Because he he won't reinstate Trump's border policies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really why they're going to impeach him, no matter what they say their motive is. And and by the way, what's so odd about that is that, you know, Biden actually kept a number of Trump's border policies in place. Um, and if anything, he's cracked down on asylum seeking at the border really pretty stringently. 
mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. true that he's letting in a lot of people uh, who apply for asylum from abroad and so forth. And that is something I think Republicans really oppose with every fiber of their being. Very. But, you know, it, it, one thing that's very comical about this whole thing is that Republicans were absolutely salivating at the prospect of a huge surge in migrants after the COVID-19. And, uh, right. You know, there was a, just for your readers, for your listeners, uh, Title 42 is a health directive that uh, restricted a lot of asylum seeking at the border uh, due to COVID. And that has lifted. Um, and Marjorie Taylor Greene actually told uh, Kevin McCarthy, according to CNN, that this was going to be the perfect hook to impeach Mayorkas because there was going to be this huge surge of migrants who would show up mm-hmm. and that would be their opening to do this. Right. And then, of course, you know, it didn't happen because Biden is actually cracking down on asylum seeking at the border. And so a number of Republicans have simply forged ahead and pretended it did happen. They just keep right. saying it actually has happened. Alternate right? facts, my friend. <laughs> It's really an amazing thing. And in their in their whole media ecosystem, it is a fact, right? It is an established fact that there was a, and is a border surge after mm-hmm. Title 42 lifted. But there isn't one. It, 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 it's, it's, it never ceases to amaze me just how hermetically sealed that alternate reality is and, and how, how they will say, oh, no, no, I saw a post on Real True Patriot Eagle News on Facebook, and that means it's real. And it's a picture from 2014 of something else in another country, but they just don't care. They just don't yeah, have one, a, one of the greatest examples of this to, to sort of talk about a topic that I know that you're that you you, you enjoy is the lawsuit against Fox, the, the yeah. Dominion lawsuit <laughs> against Fox and the texts that were revealed there. Right. Mm-hmm. Those texts explicitly showed top Fox personalities and executives essentially ripping off their viewership. Right. Sure. Saying things like we can't tell them the truth about the election because we'll lose our viewers to Newsmax, right? Yep. They're destroying our brand. And and to, to, to sort of further your point, the response to texts from Fox News personalities themselves saying, we're ripping you all off, right? Yep. Was to say, oh, it's not, that it can't be true. It's not real. They don't, it's right. It's not really a ripoff. Right, those those aren't real. Those are fake news. Yeah, it, it is a consistent pattern of, of this kind of like disturbingly, obvious, um, you know, uh, contradiction of, of the real world. They, they just cannot seem to process that, that the people at Fox are lying to them and that it's entertainment. They can't seem to process that the people at Fox are contemptuous of them. The weird thing is they, they look for contempt in any other critique of MAGA or the Republican Party or the right. And they find it and they launch into this absolute like incandescent rage but with Fox, you're right. They just excuse it. They just sort of walked away from it. Right. What's so amazing to me is that they literally said straight out that they were keeping that audience captive by lying to them. <laughs> and then so the audience just said, yes, we'll continue doing that. Lie more, please. I like it. Yeah. Um, so obviously the indictment uh, and prosecution of Donald Trump is going to be a big DC news story in the coming months. So far, the White House, and I think for Biden himself, it's probably the right decision to not talk about it every day yeah, and for senior absolutely. White House officials not to talk about it every day. But what do you think about the fact that the Democrats have gone so so quiet on the fact that Donald Trump has been credibly accused of multiple felonies under the Espionage Act and is going on trial for it? I mean, 
they're going to be the the Republicans are going to say that that's an engineered show trial by the Democratic elites, no matter what. Shouldn't they be out there talking about this? A hundred percent. I absolutely am baffled by the Democratic skittishness on this. Agreed on on the White House and Biden, right? It's part of DOJ is right. part of his administration. Got to keep a line there. He really does. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and you know, that that's critical. But congressional Democrats um, and and party officials, there's really nothing stopping them from talking about the facts of the case. And look, um, Donald Trump gave them the perfect weapon with which to do this when he went on Fox News and essentially confessed <laughs> to, to harboring documents and, and and discussing, you know, some of the stuff in 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 the uh, in the document boxes, he didn't say it this way, but he essentially admitted that he had discussed sensitive yeah, it was, stuff. It was essentially with a confession. Without yeah, and so if Democrats don't want to be perceived talking directly about the the legal case itself, they can simply talk about what Donald Trump said about his own crimes, or mm-hmm. you know. Alleged crime. Well, I, yeah, right? I think that's right. I mean, the, the the fact is they can say, look, we didn't make him go on Fox. We didn't make him say these things. We didn't make Donald Trump. He wasn't tricked into this by the elite liberal deep right. state and Brett Baer, who, who may be more journalist exactly. adjacent than most people at Fox, but is still not, um, you know, still not a guy who is, is going to hesitate to, uh, to uh, you know, do Rupert's bidding when the time comes. So, yeah, I mean, I just I, th- I think you're right. right it's just like exactly. it's kind of baffling. And it, maybe it goes back to that sort of hesitation to deal in the real world. You know, the, the idea you don't want to be accused of being uh, of, of of having engineered his trial, which is, you know, a, a false, but in the minds of Republicans, legitimate. Uh, it doesn't dismiss the fact that you should be telling the American people every day what the hell he's done. Exactly. That's that's the essence of it, right? That what Democrats should be doing is talking about the facts mm-hmm. of the case. This is what Donald Trump did. Right. These are the right. Yeah. He stole national security secrets that included incredibly sensitive stuff that put our country and our troops in danger, allegedly. Right. Yeah. You know, and Democrats can stand up for the rule of law by saying, you know. He is absolutely, you know, presumed innocent until we want proven guilty a, of the charges. A fair trial, yeah. fair trial, right? But here's what he's accused of. Here is what he has said right. about his own right. conduct. Uh, the the right. That's pro yeah. rule of law, which, it's, it's, which it's, traditionally it's was a conservative position. Public. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I just mean right. Democrats can align themselves mm-hmm. with the rule of law while also talking about the facts of the case and standing up for Trump's. Right to to you know the process to, to and, process. and frankly they can also score some points on the national security front by saying you know well, we yes, are we're here true. to protect yeah. and defend right. some of the most treasured secrets of this country that were that were won by the blood of patriotic intelligence officers uh, in the United States and by the people they recruited in foreign countries who risked their lives to tell us these things and I think they're starting to get that a little bit yeah I think so too. But the rule of law part, I think they're still sort of dragging behind on it. And look, Democrats, don't be afraid of this stuff. You don't be afraid of the fact that Fox News is going to say horrible things about you. They're going to do that because it's a day that ends in a Y. They're going to do that regardless. Right. And and this idea that they would get responsibility points or whatever they think they're going to get by saying nothing and, and, you know, um, 
standing down from these debates is, is fantasy. Utter fantasy. I mean, all it does is feed the field to, to Republicans to lie with abandon about the facts of the exactly. case. Exactly. And, and which they're doing right now, you know, which they, they've, there's, an, right, there's, there's an entire cottage industry in D.C. now trying to say, oh, this is a case about the Presidential Records Act, not the, the Espionage Act. Right. And they're trying to conflate or confuse the two. And it's become I feel like this is going to probably start as we approach the August 15th trial date or 14th trial date, you know, if there aren't major delays, I have a feeling that the fall, this is going to sort of suck down everything in DC attention wise uh, into a, into a sort of singularity of Trump criminality. Not that it hurts him in the primary, right? Not that it changes the ball game right. at all. Can I ask you a question actually that, that raises, I'm curious to know how that impacts uh, Republican primary politics from the point of view of, of someone like DeSantis. I think obviously Chris Christie has staked right. out a position where he's going to, he's going to be the guy who, who tells mm-hmm. Republican voters, you can't win with a, with a, you know, an alleged criminal right. with all these, indi- you know, the, all these charges against him. You can't do that. Um, maybe Mike Pence and Nikki Haley kind of go for some middle mm-hmm. ground where they say the charges are very serious um, but, you know, of course, DOJ right. is corrupt and biased against conservatives and so forth, which is another mm-hmm. story. That's just it's such a it's such a it's bullshit so stance much. in and of itself. <laughs> right. But guys like DeSantis seem to not even want to go there. They they kind of want to be in the place where they sort of say they try and play it too cute by half by saying, well, yeah, maybe you should look at the Trump charges. But the big yeah. story is DOJ corruption and. And, and, they're, and they're, what they're going to so try forth. to do is, is they'll frame it out as well. Hunter Biden got a free ride, and and Donald Trump's being persecuted. Right, they're doing well, that. I, I, but so when the so what happens when we go down that black hole of of of, yeah. of Trump? Well, the, the, uh, when the prosecution. What does DeSantis, well, DeSantis say? DeSantis is going to keep saying what he's been saying, which is, you know, I don't think this will matter. I'm going to be the nominee. I'm going to be the nominee, and, and that's a cocky and right. and kind of dumb way to put it. Because every other candidate, except maybe Christie and Asa, has already come out and Asa. said, I will pardon him, or I will think about pardoning him, or these charges are corrupt, therefore he should be pardoned. And and I think it's going to be really hard for DeSantis to hold the line on that, because in these debates, all the little small fry are going to be after him to say, to, 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 to drive a contradiction between him and Trump drive a wedge between DeSantis so that Trump will start truly nuking DeSantis at a level he hasn't even done so far, they'll say, Ron, why won't you pardon Trump? Why won't you defend Trump? Why aren't you fighting for Trump? You know these charges are false, Ron. And it's going to be difficult. But I think the bigger thing that's going to happen, Greg, is all of the media attention is going to suck into Trump. It's going to be harder and harder for these guys to get out there and get on the air. It's going to be harder for them to get out there and get on TV. It's going to be harder for them to get out there and and get their message out that there's some sort of new and fresh option. Look, I, I personally don't believe there's any lane whatsoever in the in the GOP today for Chris Christie or Asa Hutchison or anybody right, else who's right. not in that MAGA nationalist populist sec- segment of the of the audience. I just don't think there's any room there for them. And I think it's going to be a very difficult a very difficult time for all of them to raise money for them to, you know, get on TV. Oh, wow, that's fascinating. Uh, you know, because the, the 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 base of the Republican Party for the last eight years now has shown us one thing, that when Trump is under attack, they rally to him. 
When Trump is in trouble, they rally to him. And I think we're going to see that this time. I think they're going to, I mean, they have been already rallying to him. His numbers have improved. DeSantis went from the low 30s now to the to the high teens versus Trump in most likely voter surveys. So I think, I think the prosecution of Trump, as legitimate as it is, is also kind of a weird in-kind contribution to Trump's campaign because he's going to exploit it to the absolute maximum level he possibly can. Right, and you're the you're the you're not a GOP strategist nope. anymore, but you, you had you had some experience. I do know in my that, people. I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, and so so I got to ask you sure. this, if I can. Um, so this is the time, like during the summer and fall, that's the time when they really need to raise the Absolutely. big bucks and really need to get their get their messages out to the Republican base. Right? Isn't that the time for this? It? Is this is where they should be really sprinting on the money, Ron DeSantis? front loaded his money while he was running for governor because there was a lot of overlap of people who wanted stuff from the state government of Florida that would throw money in. So he's got about a hundred million dollars in the bank. There's been a slowdown in major dollars for, for DeSantis because the donors actually saw who they were buying. They, they, they've been unimpressed with his campaign so far because it's sort of, you know, he may have a lot of money, but he's he's clumsy. It's like a rich guy who buys a sports an F one sports car, a Formula One race car. He's not a great F one driver. He's just a guy with a race car. And you know, Christie's been raising some good, you know, Wall Street hedge fund private equity money because he sort of knows those people from his time in New Jersey. But the rest of them are nickel and dime stuff, and it's small dollar. You know, they're gonna they're gonna have a hard time grinding this thing out. I mean, Tim Scott has Larry Ellison with thirty million, but that's also, you know, a very, very long shot. I think the ones that are at one, two percent, you know, if they're in this race to make a statement, okay, make a statement. But they're not in this race to win it. And it's going to be very hard going into the fall when once the cash register in a campaign opens, it never stops until the campaign is bankrupt, one way or the other. They're either broke on election right. day and they're winning, right. or they're broke before election day and they're out. It's how campaigns universally function. And so I think you're going to end up with this is going to hurt all the other candidates in the race because it puts Trump back in the center of all the national dialogue and all the news dialogue. Yeah, I'd be curious to know, and you, you probably have your ear to the ground on this more than I do, how deep the, the the worry about DeSantis runs among GOP elites that are kind of in his camp. It's pretty profound. They've been yes. struck by two things. The first is most of these GOP elites, most of the guys in, again, hedge fund bros, private equity, Silicon Valley, Wall Street types, corporate types who were giving, were, were giving to DeSantis, they gave to him initially because they aesthetically don't like Trump. They were happy with the tax cuts. They thought that was the greatest thing in the world. They looked at DeSantis and said, okay, he's an Ivy League guy. He's going to be one of us. He'll get it. Most of these donors, though, are pro-choice. They are much more moderate than the rest of the Republican Party, certainly more moderate than the MAGA base by an order of magnitude. And they thought DeSantis would be a guy who could get back in the center and win big. But they've been concerned by two things. His terrible performance on the campaign trail. He's just not a good performer. And I'm not saying that as a critique of him uh, ideologically or politically. He's a bad candidate. You either have the gift or you don't. Trump, frankly, has the gift. I hate saying it, but he does. does. Biden has the gift. In a room, Joe Biden makes people love him. 
in a room, Ron DeSantis yes, makes people feel creeped out. They want to get out of there because he won't make eye contact. He's a strange right. guy. He has weird affect. That lack of the gift concerned them. But now that he's allied himself with this ragged edge of crazy on social conservative culture war stuff, wow, they are. That's what's actually bothering them a lot more. These guys are are more moderate, and their spouses almost universally are more are quite liberal. And there's a oh, lot yeah. of cross pressure right now because the 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 husband or wife of a hedge fund executive being that more liberal partner looks at moms for liberty and the war on Disney and all the anti LGBT stuff and book bans. And they say, uh, uh-uh, not for me. So he's had, right, a, right. and there's only a certain amount you can sell by saying, oh, I've got to win the primary. This is, I'm going to win the primary. They don't buy that after a certain point, And it's, it's well past that point right now. It's uh, there's no imagination. I was, just gonna, I was just yeah. wondering that. I was just wondering that because I've always had the sense that that DeSantis is probably doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing with some of the some of the corporate oh. guys telling him, oh, this Warren Disney, you know, it's not real. It's just it's just it's just to show that I can capture the MAGA energy and so forth. By the way, um, there, there's an interesting uh, kind of way in which the two different things that you brought up about DeSantis kind of interweave mm-hmm. with each other. Right. If you watch. Uh, Ron DeSantis talk about wokeness, right? right? Um, there's kind of a robotic quality to it that really showcases both the things mm-hmm. you're talking about, right? He's way down the rabbit hole in the culture wars in a way that is reflected in his kind of use of that language, right. which I think for like 80% of the country is basically white noise, right? Woke, right. woke, 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 woke. Nobody woke, gets it. Woke, Nobody woke, cares. Woke Disney, right. woke this, woke that. <laughs> Right. CRT. <laughs> right. Like, you know, we're just getting like the stream of acronyms and, and, and you know, words, words like right. woke. And right. And so you got you've got him way down the culture war rabbit hole. But you also have his kind of, you know, personally, um, I guess, repellent traits there, too. There's a weird quality when he talks about mm-hmm. that stuff. When Right. I mean, when he talks about the the, the porn and the the book bans, it, it just seems creepy as hell. There's something there's something really off about him. And 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 look, we're from the same part of Florida. He's from a town called Dunedin, right. Florida. I'm from Tampa, across the bay, right? And I know who Ron DeSantis is as a person. I know that neighborhood. I know that part of the community. This is a middle class guy who did very well. He was a great, he, you know, he's a good student, a grind student, went out, did sports, got himself on the track to go to the Ivy League and has made a success of himself. But it's the strange thing is the higher he climbs, the bigger the chip on his shoulder becomes. And I don't understand it. I don't psychologically understand why a kid from the middle class in Tampa, in the Tampa Bay area is so angry about being a middle class kid from the Tampa Bay area. Is so is so it's is really so furious Rick, about like when people talk about his life or his background or his family, he, you can see like a shield comes down on the sky, and and it just it just blocks out the sun. It's a very odd behavior, and and you know some of us started jokingly calling him Tropical Nixon because the guy more than any other presidential candidate in in oh, modern history is a Richard Nixon. The chip on the shoulder, the angry intellect, the feeling of inferiority among rich people, all of it just sort of adds up to this side of grind teeth grinding level of 
of of oddness when he's when he speaks and when he talks. You don't have a sense of where that comes from. I really don't. I really don't. I mean, his, his dad was a Nielsen cable box installer. I think his mom was a. I think his mom was a nurse. I, I may be wrong on that, but I think I think she was a nurse. It's a middle class life in a middle class community, and I just don't. There's nothing wrong with being from Dunedin, Florida. There's nothing wrong with it, Ron. I mean, it's just like why is he so? And when he says things like I, I identify as someone from the from from the from Ohio steel towns, and really. It's, it's just this very yeah. strange kind of uh, – he's a guy that, that if there were a Richard Ben Kramer writing on what it takes for this for this election cycle, DeSantis would have a lot of chapters because you're really peeling back the layers on that onion, man. It's a it's a big challenge. Yeah, I got to say I was I was just thinking as you were talking about this, I was thinking about his, his claim to being culturally from the industrial Midwest. Right. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> you, know, you know, I thought I thought people weren't allowed to claim what the parts of their identity. That was that was what I heard from Ron and his friends. Well, <laughs> listen, Greg, thank you so so much for coming on the enemies list today. Where can people find you on social media? Um, I'm really pretty much always on Twitter at at the Plumline GS, which is T H E P L U M L I N E G S, and over at the Washington Post. There it is. Well, Greg Sargent, once again, brother, thank you so much for coming on. Look forward to having you on again soon. We'll uh, we'll, we'll keep in touch as this election season uh, opens up in all of its glory. Really fun chat, Rick. Thanks so much. Likewise, my friend. See you soon. On the enemies list today, you fucking tankies. You know, last weekend... The Prigozhin attempted mini coup against Vladimir Putin led to a lot of speculation about what's happening in Russia. Frankly, it has profoundly, probably fatally weakened Vladimir Putin, no matter what sort of Potemkin village bullshit you people believe. But the presence of so many Americans cheerleading for Putin and cheerleading for the Russians in the war against Ukraine and in the Prigozhin coup attempt fascinates me. You people are the lowest forms of human life. Vladimir Putin's going to get thrown out a window pretty soon. He's going to lose in Ukraine. They're going to retake Crimea. The oligarchs around him recognize what just happened. Once a dictator shatters their illusion of invulnerability, their days are numbered. His days are numbered. And yet, there are so many of these American supporters of, of Vladimir Putin still out there cheerleading for him. You know, David Sachs at Twitter, any number of these other folks. Frankly, guys, The fact that you are still in love with a guy who uses nerve gas on his political opponents, who's engaged in a long systematic murder spree, and who invaded a country and has committed genocide and war crimes for a year and a half in front of your own eyes astounds me. And you will forever be on the enemies list. And that is my usual public service announcement of fuck you tankies. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times, please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah but you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. 
Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list. <laughs>